Good morning, Conduit. How are you this morning? Doing okay. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah? Hear me in the back? Good? Okay. I have... Feedback. I have good news. Um, I have excellent news this morning. I have the goodest of all good news you could ever have. And, uh, and, and that is that God is in the business of redemption. It's what he does. It's like the... The, the top of the food chain in things that God does is that he redeems things. He takes things that are, he takes things that are broken. Um, he takes things that are busted. And uh, by the movement of his spirit, by the working of his grace, by the ministry of his church, he loves things back into wholeness. And it doesn't matter how many cracks are in the sidewalk of your life, so to speak. It doesn't matter how deep the canyon is or how many, uh, how many fissures or crevices are careening their way through every facet of your life. God's, God's grace is more than sufficient to fill every area and to make it whole. And um, what is even better about that type, of, uh, that type of grace or that type of good news is um, that it exists for every type of brokenness. And what I mean when I say that is that um, we've become very accustomed to being able to uh, identify and point out the type of brokenness that we feel um, God ministers to most clearly. The brokenness that sits on the outside of a person that manifests itself in their habits and their hang-ups and their words and their, and their actions. And we say, well, yeah, that's the type of brokenness that God wants to heal or to fix or redeem in my life. But if you're anything like me, <clears throat> if you're anything like me, I have become very good at hiding my brokenness. At covering it up and masking it with smiles and a, how was your day? I'm, my day was great. I'm doing great. The family is great. Everything's great. I'm great. You're great. We're all great, right? And it's, it becomes very easy. We become experts at masking our brokenness, right? Because... Because there's brokenness that's very public and very prolific and very on the outside, right? It's easy for us to identify, but then there's the inner brokenness that we all have. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. And you know, God's grace is equally sufficient, more than sufficient, to seep into even the closets of our lives that we're keeping closed 
to restore and redeem and remake us. You know that God wants you whole? That, that God doesn't want you broken? That God's not just say, well, I'll work with whatever's there. I mean, that's true in like theory. But God's greatest desire for you is to redeem and to remake and to renew you. To, to change you so that the brokenness that you feel is too broken is made whole. And that then your life becomes a living testimony of His grace, of what, of what happens when we surrender ourselves to the healing power of His Holy Spirit and He puts us all back together again. Uh, that's, that's good news, right? The, that's the good news. That's the, that's the good news part of it. Um, I don't want to say it's bad news, but what I, what I will say is that, um, uh, is that God is so loving and, and God is so good to us um, that he forces nothing upon us. Nothing. And sometimes I think it would be easier if he just did, right? He's going to force it upon He's going to force his character upon us. He's going to force holiness upon us. He's going to he's going to force this upon us and force that upon us and be like, "God, why can't you just make things the way that we think that they should be?" Right? But as I think I've said it times from this stage before we've heard pastor Corey make allusions to it pastor ben certainly preaching on these same kind of principles is that is that in the wrapped up in the very nature of god's infinite love for us is his desire for us to choose love is about choice i know that my wife sherry loves me right because no one dragged her down the aisle of a church 13 years ago kicking and screaming against her will and made her marry me. Right? She had a choice. And because she had a choice to not love me, I know that she does love me. God's love is exemplified for us, among other things, in our ability to choose. To choose to embrace what He's doing in our lives to choose to embrace the healing power of the Holy Spirit to fix the cracks and crevices of our lives or to not choose. But He will not force it upon us. And so the, so the not-so-good news but still the good news of redemption is that we have a choice. You have a choice. You are not, you are not powerless against the brokenness of life. That you, can, that you can choose to receive what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in you. This morning, tomorrow, the next day, and the next. Okay? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this week. We've been in this, this, um, been in this uh, series on uh, the early church, and most recently in the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the, uh, letter to the Corinthians. And um, Paul... <clears throat> It's an issue head-on 
And, and we're going we're gonna to hit the issue head on, but then um, we're going to take a kind of like a, we're going to widen the funnel out a little bit. Um, because there are some specific things that Paul says here about the relationship between uh, people within the Corinthian church, but then there's also some, some more general principles that are, that are spread wide across Scripture that are, that are like linked to this. So we're going to try and hit many of those, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 8. Paul says, If any of you has a dispute uh, with another, dare they take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Now, don't get too caught up on that word saints. Uh, What Paul is speaking of there is just the the community of believers, those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, have, um, have made themselves a part of that gospel community, saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the little things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judge, judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. I don't hear that kind of language very often in a book that's all about the love of God, right? Paul says, I say this to shame you. Basically saying, Corinthians, you should be embarrassed at your conduct. It's shameful. Therefore, uh, well, uh, verse uh, 5, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one goes to law against another. And this is the kicker for Paul in this passage. This is what everything else centers around um, in this passage in particular. And this you do in front of of unbelievers. This is why Paul is so upset. The very fact that you have these lawsuits among you, verse 7, means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not uh, rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat, you do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So we're going to look specifically at this, specifically at two other passages as well. But the central question that I want to ask this morning is, um, <clears throat> and we're going to we're going to do the uh, we're going to do a church poll this morning, okay? A very scientific um, survey of human experience this morning. Uh, who here in this room has ever experienced relational conflict with another believer? Okay. All right, so, so you've experienced some form of relational conflict with someone else in uh, gospel community. Saints, right? Now maybe here's, um, <clears throat> here's a, a, a deeper question. Ready? 
all aboard the honesty train? Okay. Um, who here has ever experienced relational conflict with someone in this room? Okay. Some of y'all lying and need Jesus. <laughs> I tell you, um, <clears throat> as a pastor for a long time, and not at Conduit for you know just just under three years now, but as a pastor for uh, almost a decade in one church, you know I can tell you that. Um, <clears throat> Probably the people with the most relational conflict in a church are the pastors. Not, in, not between pastors, but the pastors are generally the, the one person in the church that everyone else knows. That is in some form of relationship with everyone else in the room. You might not know the guy sitting next to you, right? Or the guy, you know, six rows behind you, but... But, but I know you and the guy next to you and the guy six rows behind you, right? And when you, when you get intertwined in people's lives for good reasons or for bad, the, the tendency for relational conflict gets magnified by 100%. And I, I'll tell you, I, tell, um, I told a young, um, I'll, say, I'll say he's young, uh, a friend of mine, a colleague, who is considering going into ministry a few years back, he says, what's the one, what's the one word of advice that you would, um, what's the one word of advice that you would give me if I'm considering a call to pastoral ministry? And I would say this, and I, or and I, I told him this, I would say, um, learn how to apologize. Become an expert in forgiveness. Because you will walk through the fire of Forgiveness. You will walk through the fire of apologizing. You will walk through the fire of misunderstandings and miscommunications and, and horrible things, mistakes that you make, hurts that you inflict, hurts that get inflicted upon you. And if you do not become an expert in forgiveness, then the very realistic thing of relational conflict will eat you for breakfast. And you will not make it out of ministry alive. Now, I say that not as a sob story about my life or Corey's life or Ben's life, but I say that to hopefully disarm you in the midst of any relational conflict that might be sitting here now. Is that if you want an expert on what it's like to have people mad at you and to be mad at other people, right? It starts up here. We get it, all right? And so to think if you're somehow like out of bounds because there's some tension between you and someone else in the room look look this is this is life this is what happens but how we deal with relational conflict is not just about how we deal with a specific situation right it doesn't just affect if i have um some kind of um see who am i going to pick on all service Corey. he's easy yeah, so I have zero conflict with Corey. I can say with 100% um, confidence right now that our hearts are pure towards each other. We have zero conflict, okay? So any and all um, examples that I use today are completely fictional, all right? Um, 
But um, I can say, if there, is a, if there is something between Corey and I, some piece of relational conflict, he did something to me, I did something to him, and there's some tension that exists there. The tendency is to say that, well, it's not entirely a huge deal because the conflict that exists, it's just a, a temporary blockade in whatever friendship that we had. It doesn't really matter that much. I can just kind of sit on it until I'm ready to deal with it, until he's ready to deal with it. And the tendency to say is to minimize conflict because conflict is uncomfortable to deal with, right? But Scripture has a kind of a different viewpoint on conflict, especially when it's between believers. It has much further reaching tentacles into the lives of people and even into the lives of the church. In fact, when we talk about conflict, relational conflict, one of the primary things that is at the crux of relational conflict is the issue of forgiveness, right? If conflict exists and continues to exist over large spans of time, right, there is this blockade of forgiveness that is happening, an unwillingness to forgive, uh, not, a, not, like, not approaching the other person asking for forgiveness, right? seeking reconciliation in that relationship. But you know what? You know what the scripture says about forgiveness? Is that the dynamic of forgiveness between me and Corey is directly related to the dynamic of forgiveness between me and the Father. And, that, and, and, and this is not just some apostle, right, who walks off the street, right? This is Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 6, at the end of uh, the Lord's Prayer, chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If I was holding a mic, I would drop it, you know? <laughs> because, because, because look, what... What Jesus says here, right, is that the dynamic of forgiveness between me and between you is directly proportional to the dynamic of forgiveness between the Father and between you. So measure out the forgiveness in which you intend to extend to others, and then you will know, you will be able to measure out the, the extent of forgiveness that the, that the Holy Father, that our Heavenly Father extends to us. And so the issue now is not just between Corey and I, right? Now it's, between, now it's a matter of my soul. The dynamic of our relationship becomes a dynamic of my relationship with my Heavenly Father. This is serious business, right? So um, it's not just about us, right? It's also about our relationship with the father and especially in terms of forgiveness it's also has to do with our with unity in the church and the fidelity of our worship as a church our ability to enter into the presence of god the whole to have the manifest work of the holy spirit come upon us in worship we're going to get to that specific example here in just a minute but also, how we deal with relational conflict is a primary issue for us, 
for our, as a church, witness to an unbelieving world. Right? So, the, um, the world is watching. And if you think they're not watching, you're not paying attention, right? They're watching. They have a little TV screen in front of them, and the reality show that they're looking at is this gospel community who says that they are all about forgiveness and that they are all about love and that they are all about compassion to one another and, and mercy and that they, and that, and that they desire to, to meet the... Um, to meet the needs of their community, to, to reach out in holiness, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, right? And the world is watching this reality TV show that is called The Church, right? And they're getting a perspective about the nature of this community, not just from what we do in interaction with them, but what we do in interaction with each other, you know, if you've been married or considering getting married or dating anyone ever that you have like thought about maybe marrying, right? That first visit, that second visit, maybe that first Thanksgiving meal that you sit down with a prospective in-law family, right? Gives you a little bit of a glimpse into the world that you're going to be walking into, right? And it can either like make you want to be a part of that family even more, right? Or, or you can be like, Bro, I am out, right? Like, I am out of this place because I don't want to be a part of that, right? And so it's not just about individual relationships as well because what we have a witness to a world that is watching us live and interact with each other and a responsibility to represent the grace of God between us in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God. Because ultimately, the nature and health of our relationships with each other do not just reflect upon us, they reflect upon the God whom we represent. So if we go back to our passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the main one that we're studying this morning, we have to be clear about what Paul is saying here, okay? Because Paul, um, like any good preacher uses a lot of sarcasm, right? Uses a lot of hyperbole. He, he uses a lot of um, uh, oral and, and literary functions to try and get his point across, to try and, try and really um, like hammer the point home about, about you know, what he's trying to communicate here. And you would look at this and you would think that, well, well what Paul is advocating for is that, that Paul is advocating that, that the church be the environment upon which every single dispute there is between Christian people should be settled. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, um, I, would tell you, I would tell you flat out, if you came up to me and, and, and you said, um, uh, uh, Pastor Cameron, um, I was reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and um, I got a really big problem with Pastor Corey, and uh, he did this to me, and he did this to me, and he did this to me. I need you uh, to mediate um, him apologizing to me. <laughs> and my first question to you would be, although listening deeply to your concern would be, have you approached Corey about that yet? Well, no. 
Well, if we take the whole comprehensive counsel of Scripture, right, and not just 1 Corinthians 6, we understand that the primary responsibility to alleviate relational conflict does not rest in the whole counsel of the church, it rests in the individual. Meaning that if you have relational conflict with someone, it is not my job to mediate it, it is yours. It is not my job to fix it, it is yours. Now there comes a point, right, and this is what Paul is saying here, there comes a point where the conflict bubbles up so that it is so extreme that it threatens to destroy the witness of the church. And at that point, right, those who have been charged with protecting the fidelity and the health of the church, its leaders, its elders, its pastors, then it's time for us to say, all right, in an effort to not muddy the name of Jesus Christ by our conduct and conflict with each other, yes, we will sit down and mediate this. But we're not just emotional janitors that run around people's lives and clean up the messes that they make because they're too lazy to do the hard work themselves, all right? That's not the purpose of the church. So the, the issue here in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, is that, is that Paul is intent on protecting the church from... Uh, relational conflict that bubbles over into an inappropriate witness to an unbelieving world. So, yes, is there a time and a place for church leaders to mediate conflict? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not step number one. It's like last resort. Okay? Step number one is your responsibility, which we're going to talk about now you have a responsibility to address relational conflict when it exists you do we should always be willing to address relational conflict for a few reasons okay if you're a writer of things write these things Relational conflict left to itself destroys our ability to worship truly. Matthew chapter 5, again, not just some apostle who decided that he was going to plant a bunch of churches in and around the Mediterranean. Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, even now at this very moment in Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 21, he has heard, or you have heard that it was said to people long ago. I'll give you a second to get there. Are you there? Say amen if you're there. Are you there? Okay. to train you guys. If you're there, say amen. amen. Okay. Praise Jesus. Here we go. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, okay. 
Thanks, Jesus. I've got the not murdering part down. Got it? Guess I'm good. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, or fool, right? Calls them a fool. Right, Billy? Yeah, you like that word. Is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Here, here we go. Ready? Uh, relational conflict destroys your ability to worship truly. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. <laughs> okay. Let me get this clear. Jesus himself, Jesus, the one whom we worship, is saying, hey, before you worship, go and get it figured out. Before you worship, primary to the act of worship is the reconciliation of relational conflict. Well, I don't got a problem with them. They're the ones that have a problem with me. So it's not my responsibility to go and do that and to get it taken care of. If they got a problem, they can come to me. No, uh, incorrect. In fact, Jesus says the responsibility of anyone who knows that there is relational conflict is to chase it down and sort it out. What does Jesus say here in Matthew chapter 5? He says, therefore, if you are offering, verse 23, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Well, I'm fine with them. I don't have a problem with them at all. They're the one that has a problem with me. I don't have to initiate this. I don't have to run after reconciliation. I don't have to be the one that initiates restoration. Uh, you are wrong. In fact, um, you are the very one that, that is, is inundated to do so. Jesus says, if you, if, you, if you know that anyone's got a problem with you, hey man, let, drop everything else. Number one priority in life, restore relational conflict, being, being an ambassador of grace, right? Being, being the one that pours grace and mercy and compassion and understanding and forgiveness all over the broken cracks and crevices of that relationship. That's your responsibility. You are the one that is to do it. Because if you don't, when you walk into this room, your worship is not heard. You ever stand here in worship and everyone else all around you is like, you can tell that the Holy Spirit of God is moving upon them in a way that is like heavy. Like God is meeting them and changing them and it's powerful in their lives, but you're standing there feeling unmoved, powerless, unconnected, bored. It's not because the music ain't good. It's because you've got to block relationally and God is not honoring your spirit's connection with him because you have not reached out to reconcile a relationship. If you're bored and unmoved and feel like the Spirit of God is powerless, 
for your life when you come into worship, it's because you have relational conflict that you refuse to deal with. And if you would take the difficult steps of seeking to reconcile relationship, of seeking to extend and receive forgiveness, then God will meet you in a new way in worship and he will wreck you in a good way and rock you and move you in a way that you've never been moved before. Earnestly, forgiveness is as much about learning to receive forgiveness as it is to have the, fum- the humility to um, ask for forgiveness, but that's another sermon for a different week. Um, so reconciliation becomes, comes before worship. Um, the lack or the, the existence of relational conflict will alter your ability to connect with the Spirit of God. Um, here's another thing from Matthew chapter 5, verse 25. Setter, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. This is the same portion of Scripture that Jesus, or that we were just talked about Matthew 5. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and the officer may throw you into prison. And I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. What happens when relational conflict is not dealt with immediately? It escalates out of control. And what was once a small seemingly insignificant thing that you could have handled on the way to court ends you up in prison under a horrible sentence. You will not get out until you pay the very last penny. And so um, here's the thing is that we have this, uh, we have this really, um, we have this thing that we do when we're afraid of the steps that are necessary uh, to experience relationship. Look, I get this. Like I told you, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in saying that I have become an expert on forgiveness. Okay? Not because I studied it, right? But because I've experienced it. I've experienced what it means to have to extend. I've experienced what it means to have to receive, even when I don't want to, right? Even when I'm mad. Even when I'm angry. I get it, all right? It's hard. And if you're sitting here saying, well, you have no idea what I've been through, There is no corner of relational conflict that I am not imagining, okay? And I understand that it's difficult, and I understand that it's hard, right? And because it's difficult, and because it's hard, and because it's uncomfortable, and because we aren't naturally people who humble ourselves in an act of reconciliation with someone else, right? What What we tend to do is we we just let it sit, right? And we don't deal with it. And we say something like, well, time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. The further away we get from it, the better it will get. The easier it will become. No, uh, you know what happens with a wound when you just leave it? If it gets infected. 
super infected, super diseased. Um, and listen, we're not, you know, Christians, listen, time heals all wounds. That's Oprah's book club, all right? God's got a book. Let's be in his club, right? And what the word of God says is that it's not time that heals all wounds. It's, it's, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ that heals all wounds. And you think your wound is so deep that it cannot be healed. It's because you've been, you've been trying to do it with Oprah's book club type of stuff, right? And what, and, and, and what Jesus is about is like, look, if you, if you bring to me... If you, bring, if you bring to the foot of the cross the relational conflict, the, the two people, the group of people, the families, you, you come together at the table with an attitude of humility and a desire to reconcile and, 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 a, and, and a wanting to like step back into and plug back into and connect back into a spirit of worship. If you do those things, everything, every every attempt at reconciliation that you have failed at, the Holy Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ will heal that. He will make it new. And I know that you don't believe it. And I know you don't think that there's any way that it can happen. But I'm telling you right now, right here, Jesus says, I will do it. I will, I will reestablish the health of your relationships. Why? Because before I, can, before I can establish the health of my relationship with you, Jesus says, we've got to reestablish the health of your relationship with others. It's like, hey, it's a process, but let's, let's get in the plan. Let's, let's do the work. Let's get to that point. Time does not heal wounds. Time makes open wounds get infected. Jesus heals all wounds. If you think that your relational conflict with this person or that person or that person will go away just with time in between them, I implore you, do not let time, do not let time deceive you into thinking that it will be all okay if you just get some distance because it will be 20 years from now and you will see that person or hear their name, right? And all of those floods of emotions will come back and it will be like salt in an open wound and you will immediately understand that everything you thought you dealt with you really didn't because you dealt with it in your own way and you didn't let Jesus take it from you. I think it's important for us to um, talk just a brief moment about what, uh, what constitutes true relational conflict now this is a little bit more tricky because um, there uh, there are times when it's like legitimate relational conflict but it's not very easily discernible you know if Corey called me a big poop head right <laughs> right and we had some conflict over that right it's a lot different than a relationship that has been going on for 20 years between families or in-laws or whoever it is or spouses or whatever there's a whole like just mishmash of emotions and experiences and um, situations that all like 
coalesce into one gaping wound, all right? So I'm not saying that um, this is like a, uh, a completely comprehensive understanding of what it means to be in relational conflict or of how we can reconcile, recon, or recognize it, but I think there are a few things that I, I want to I wanna hit on because, um, because um, what, what happens is that we um, we take matters of we take matters of opinion and we take matters of preference not aimed at an individual person not aimed at us individually and we manufacture conflict in relationships simply because we don't like what someone thinks or what someone says or how someone lives right or they're a lot different than us or they believe a lot different than us therefore um, conflict exists um, unfortunately right um, a lot of conflict exists because in general we can really just be jerks about our own opinions about our own preferences about our own lives and it has really nothing to do with a deeper-seated issue of brokenness within the relationship. Uh, Jesus goes on to say later, uh, I mean, all, there's facets of relational conflict all throughout the gospel, right? All throughout the scripture. Jesus talks about forgiveness and mercy and understanding, right? Talks here about, about um, relational conflict in worship in chapter 5, right? But if you flip over to Matthew chapter 18, there's a whole little, little section about when, when someone sins against you and, and what do you do and how do you, how do you bring like, resolution to that situation. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at a few principles. Not, like I said, not comprehensive, all right? Not, not the, the exhaustive guide to solving relational conflict, understand that, right? It's not a formula. But it is helpful, okay? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. We just have three verses here. Verses 15 through 18. Jesus says, um, and, and this is probably the most important thing here, um, if your brother or sister sins against you. Very first thing he says. Okay? If your brother or sister sins against you. Now we, like I said, have made, uh, we have taken great efforts in culture. We have taken great efforts in society to be offended by everything. Right? And out of that personal offense, we manufacture relational conflict. Right? But the base of relational conflict as it appears in scriptures basically what what the comprehensive or exhaustive view of scripture is is like look when it comes to relationship between believers your relationships with each other should be so grace-filled should be so loving should be should should be so encouraging should be so merciful should be so grounded in the character and nature of jesus christ himself that it takes an act of sin in that relationship to to create conflict an act of sin so maybe Jesus here is assuming that my relationship with Corey right 
is so full of grace and so full of love, and we always believe and think and desire the best for each other and with each other and, and for each other's family, that if there's going to be any relational conflict at all, it's not going to be because I like the Bills and he likes the Steelers, right? It's going to be because there was a true break in relationship that was, that was caused by something sinful, right? He lied to me, right? Something sinful. So, so that we don't run around, church, listen, manufacturing conflict when there really is none. Manufacturing conflict because the relationship beforehand was unhealthy, right? It wasn't Jesus honoring. It wasn't grace-filled, right? You don't get to be mad, just be mad at everyone. And then run around and, and say, well, you know, we got to approach this person and we got I got to I got I got I got to confront this person about this conflict. I got to confront this person about this conflict. I got to confront this person about this conflict. Like no, you just need to stop being such a jerk about everything. Right? What you really need to do is examine whether or not this brother or sister is sinning against you. And if they are sinning against you, then we got something to talk about, okay? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everyone on Facebook how much of a jerk he is. <laughs> Oprah's Book Club. Okay. <laughs> go where? To him. Face to face. Eye to eye hand-to-hand, table-to-table, right? If they sin against you, go to them and show them their fault. Um, just between the two of you, he says. You know, you said this, but the truth of the matter was actually this. And it wasn't just a misunderstanding. You, you intentionally, you intentionally deceived me. You, you intentionally led me astray. You did that. And that hurt. What's, what's their response? Well, if the relationship is truly a relationship that has been founded and filled and like just like the, 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 the back work has been done, right? The foundation work of the relationship has been done, then if they listen, you've won them over, right? Like ideal situation. Well, ideal situation is that you don't lie to them, right? Second ideal situation is that in the midst of being confronted with something uh, that they have sinned against you for or with or whatever, right? They immediately like, you're right, And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Period. That doesn't always work, right? He will not listen. He says, no, you're a poophead. I didn't lie to you. 
But if he will not listen, right, then take it to Facebook? No. Then I'm going to say, uh, okay, Phil, uh, Joe, I need your help. This has happened. I did this. It wasn't resolved. I need to get this conflict between Corey and I. Like, it's got, we got to fix it. It's got to change. I don't like it. I don't want it. It's not good for my soul. It's not good for his soul. It's hurting my, it's hurting my ability to worship. It's breaking unity and fidelity in the church. Would you please go with me and talk to Corey? So we go. Still doesn't listen, right? Why do we do that? He will not take, he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why? Well, because in situations like that, when emotions are high, right? When there's a lot of relational conflict, and I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the, the, um, the uh, uh, results that I anticipated getting, maybe I begin to, like, uh, Maybe I again begin to fluff some of the details, right? To make it seem like a bigger issue than it really was. Or maybe, or maybe Corey begins to fluff some of the details or whatever. But when, we bring, when I bring Phil and when I, when I bring Joe into it, now it's not just a matter of he said, she said, hearsay this, hearsay that. But now it's like, all right, let's establish some credibility and accountability across the board so that relational conflict can be eliminated and we can return to exemplifying both to, in ourselves and to the world that we have grace-filled, forgiving relationships. And then he says, if they refuse to listen to even them, tell it to the church. Leaders, leaders. Excuse me, I have an announcement to make today. Right? No. Why? Right? Because is even though Corey did something, right? Man, I could not love him anymore. Right? And the foundation of my relationship with him was grace. The foundation was mercy. The foundation was love. And so my desire is not to out him and embarrass him and to pour on shame, right? Shame does not produce redemption. It doesn't. Shame does not produce reconciliation. Shame does not produce health. It only produces more shame. It only produces more guilt. And instead, what it does is when we pile the shame onto someone, instead of entering into biblical relationship, they run away from it. And so the desire is not to stand up and say, hey, everyone, I got something that Corey did to me, and I'm going to tell you all about it because he's refused correction and refused counsel and refused accountability no it's not about it's not about laying him bare before the whole church it's about taking it to my pastor and being like we got to say we've done everything that we can to restore relational conflict i'm asking that you please help please help phil went with me joe went with me still unable to restore that still won't help then what does he say he says um if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> we have some qualifications even here, right? You're thinking, well, a pagan or a tax collector, I guess I can go over and punch him now. I've done everything that I should be, the biblical way. He hasn't listened. Now I can just do what my heart really wants to do towards him. That's not the case, right? Um, 
Uh, if, you know, even, even if I have no relationship with a pagan or a tax collector, does that mean I, I have license to be a jerk to them? No, it just, it just means what? That I'm not in covenant relationship with them. Right? Then I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be sharing my heart of hearts, right? I'm not going to be standing next to them in worship. Why? Why? Because he's not worshiping. Because there's a a spiritual blockade that is happening, and so treating him as a tax collector, treating him as a pagan, is not a license to just kick him out of your life and be a jerk to him. All it is, is you, you now have a recognition that there is no covenant relationship between you and this other person you are released from the burden of of pressing into covenant relationship with them because they refused it at every turn and nine times out of ten you know what's going to happen in that whole process is and, and you know normally when it happens Normally it happens at the stage that I bring Phil and Joe in. And, there, and, you, and you know what I begin to realize? I begin to realize that, that the hitch and the giddy-up, so to speak, was not just with Corey, it was with me also. And then now I have some work to do. Now, now, I, have some, now I have some forgiveness that needs to be um, that needs to be extended. I have some forgiveness that needs to be received. I have some work to do myself. Not just him anymore. Now it's me too. Listen. Here's where it gets tough. Here's where it gets hard. This is where it gets hard. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of an egghead. If you didn't realize that already. Um, and I have tended or leaned towards um, intellectual knowledge about faith in the scripture and God. Like, that's where I lean, right? All up here, right? Um, but if you know anything about anything, you know that that faith that does not travel from here. Right, that 18-inch journey to here, right, and then that three-foot journey out, right. That if it just sits here, it's basically useless. I mean, it is. It's just an overpriced education at that point. Okay, because if we can't take what we learn about what Scripture says about the reconciliation of relationships and apply it to, guess what? actual relationship then it doesn't mean nothing you can just write a bunch of notes in your journal and take it home and let it sit on your nightstand and never visit it again or never experience it or never press into actually what the principles of scripture say and guess what you'll you'll leave here thinking oh that was a really good word about the reconciliation of relationships and they will still be broken in your life out those doors today before you walk out those doors today to a world that is watching you like a reality TV show if you have relational conflict with someone in this room
worship next Sunday. So you've got to figure it out. Because it will, it, it's already a wound. It will fester. It will become infected. If you want to do it up front here at the altar, you want to grab hands with someone that you've got a problem with and bring them up here and pray it out and cry it out and hug it out or we can set up a ring and slug it out. It don't matter to me, right? I just want it changed for you. I just want it different. I just want it, I just want everything that's broken in you to be healed. I want everything that's that's not whole to be made whole. I want it every crack and every crevice and every fissure. I want it to be filled up with the grace of God. So there's a level playing field for the Holy Spirit to do everything He's been desiring to do from day one in you and through you. So I'm I'm gonna be so bold to pray right now, Holy Spirit. in your mercy.